We'll be reading from Mark chapter 14, starting with verse 32 and going to verse 46. Mark 14, 32 to 46. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same word. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Good evening. I'll read the first couple of verses again, and then we begin. Verse 32, And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Those are amazing words when you think that those are words that come from the Lord Jesus Christ. We see here Jesus, a little background information. He was taking his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane was an olive grove. It was a walled olive grove. It was a place, the scripture says, that where he and his disciples had come Often, it was a place where they would come for seclusion, rest, and prayer. 
At this time, Judas had already betrayed the Lord, so he came there with 11 disciples. When he came, he told his disciples that he was going to pray. And the things that happened, the verbs in the original language of this text revealed that it happened suddenly upon him. He had an immediate revelation about those things which he would suffer. They didn't come upon him slowly. It was a revelation of the things that would come upon him. And he saw these things in a way that he had never seen them before. It's as if the events that were to come were casting their shadow back from Golgotha into Gethsemane before they had occurred. And it was a shock to him. It horrified him. Listen to Mark's words. Mark describes it as he became sore, amazed, and very heavy. And listen to Jesus' words. Jesus said, I'm exceeding sorrowful unto death. What Jesus began to see and experience in the garden made him exceedingly distressed. It brought a deep darkness, a dark heaviness upon him that felt like death itself. This amazement, this heaviness, and deep sorrow drove the Lord to seek the face of his Father in three sessions of agonizing prayer. He was so distressed, being in such great agony, that at one point, the Scripture says, an angel was sent down from heaven to strengthen him. Can you imagine that? The very one who created all things, who slung the stars and the stars into the sky, who spoke galaxies into existence, was now so sorrowful and so overwhelmed with grief that an angel was dispatched from heaven to come and to strengthen him. And in another place, it says that he began to he was in agonizing prayer. And he began to sweat, as it were, great drops of blood because of the distress he was under. And he was so affected that he asked his father if it were possible to let the cup pass from him. Verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Now, we have to be careful in the way that we understand what Jesus is saying here in the attention of his heart. He was not unwilling to do his father's will. But his humanity shrank back at the thought of such suffering, such pain, such misery, such wrath and abandonment that would be his. But he was committed to do the will of God. Nevertheless, the second part of verse 36, nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. What does this teach us about Jesus? Remember, he experienced sorrow, heaviness, distress, agony. He shrank from great suffering, pain, and death itself. He was also totally dependent upon God, for he prayed. It teaches us that he was truly human. He shared in our humanity in all ways, 
except sin. It also teaches us that in the midst of our suffering and agony and turmoil, that we ought to do what Jesus did, go to our Father, submit to his will and pray, trusting him. I love the words that Jesus uses here in verse 36. He says, Abba, Father. That's a trusting faith in God, his Father, in the midst of his agony. This agony that brought him to feel sorrow to the point of death. But nevertheless, he trusted in his Father. What brought, brought upon Jesus these things? What did he see? What did he, be, what did he know in ways that he had never seen and known before? He knew that he would be deserted by his disciples. Verse 27, the scripture says, And Jesus said unto them, And you shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. In Jesus' ministry... These were his companions. They were a source of human comfort to Jesus. And Jesus knew that he would have to go through this great trial, this great passion, this great difficulty with no human comfort. It also meant he also knew that he would be delivered into the hands of sinners, verse 46. The final verse that Mike read, and they laid their hands on him and took him. He was delivered into the hands of sinners. Jesus knew what was in mankind in his fallen state. He knew he would undergo the sham trials, the violent blows to his face, the spit, the spitting and the spittle dripping from his face. The crown of thorns, the flogging by Pilate. And just before going to the cross, he would hear the angry crowd chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. In Isaiah 56, the scripture reads, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. What does that say about us? Jeremiah has an answer. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Number one, it says that we could have done the same things to Jesus given the right set of circumstances. Number two, that it is because of our sins that he was given into the hands of sinners. If I had no sin, Jesus would not have been delivered into the hands of sinners. If you had no sins, Jesus would never have been delivered into the hands of sinners. He was delivered into the hands of sinners because of our sins. And number three, it is because of our sins that he had to drink the cup of God's wrath. Now let us look at the cup. He looked into the cup, and you know what he saw in the cup? He saw the undiluted wrath of God against your sins and my sins. 
It was not wrath mixed with mercy. It was not wrath mixed with grace. It was undiluted diluted mercy. I'm sorry, undiluted wrath. No mixture. He knew that he would bear the weight and the guilt of the sins of his people. And he knew that he would be abandoned by God. That God would be forsaken by God. Can you wrap your head around that? Through all eternity, the Father and the Son knew sweet communion. There never had been an interruption in the communion of the Trinity. But he knew when he took upon him our sins that he would be abandoned by God on the cross as God poured out his wrath upon him. What does this tell us about God? It tells us that God takes sin seriously. And now let us consider his death. His death on the cross was a triumphant death. His life wasn't taken from him. Earlier, Jesus had said in John 10, 18, 18, no man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. This tells us that Jesus was in control. At any moment, his father could have dispatched legions of angels and delivered him. Jesus was not a victim. He was murdered, but not as a victim. He willingly laid down his life. Death did not hunt down Jesus, but he walked into the jaws of death, and in so doing, he conquered death for us. His death was victory. His death was our victory. He turned death into victory. For with God, all things are possible. By Jesus' life and his death, God can remain just and justify the ungodly. Amen. Consider his, some of his final words on the cross. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. Notice what he did not say. Jesus did not say, I am finished. He said, it is a finished. You know what that literally means, the words mean? It means that a process that has been in place has now come to completion. Jesus was saying, the work of redemption that I have come to accomplish is now completed. Our salvation is completed. Jesus triumphantly said, it is finished. And then you know what he said? He said, Father, into your, my, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. As one man put it, after he had finished the work, there was nothing left to do but to go home. What a mighty Savior we have. What a mighty Savior to endure such wrath, to endure such hatred from men, to be humiliated. Can you imagine the Son of God with spit dripping from his face, probably mixed with blood from the plucking out of his beard and the wagging of the head on the cross? You save others, but you can't save yourself. 
So what does this say to us? Doubting Christian, doubt no more. Some of us as Christians, we always look internally. All we can see is our sins, the sins that we struggle with, those besetting sins. And some of us are always full of doubt. You need to take rest. God is satisfied. He exhausts the fury of his wrath on his son, Jesus Christ. God is holy, righteous, and just. Christ has suffered for our sins. There is no more hell for us. We are now freely pardoned. We are now granted the gift of eternal life because of the life and the death of Jesus Christ. Your salvation stands accomplished. Your salvation stands because Jesus sits. The scripture says after he, after he accomplished eternal redemption, he sat down at the right hand of majesty, the right hand of the Father. He sat down because our salvation has been accomplished and it stands firm. Finally, how we are to love him who died for us. When you doubt the love of God, you need to go to the cross. You need to go to the cross. You need to hear his cries, his cry of abandonment. You need to hear his cry, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's amazing what Jesus did on the cross. How we ought to live for him. The scripture says faith works by love. We love him because he first loved us. He died for us, the just for the unjust. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have done for us, Lord, what we could never have imagined. You sent your son to die for us when we were your enemies, when we were like a vast flock of sheep going astray, each one to his own way. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your sacrifice. Lord, help us to live for you, help us to obey you, help you to, us to love you and to love others. And we long for that day when you will return to receive us unto yourself, that we might look upon your face and be changed into your own likeness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.